If you're alone with from home Can't sleep at night Grab your telephone Something just ain't right Welcome back to Soulful Conversations with Ash Grunewald, ladies and gentlemen. How are you going out there? This is going to be a special little monologue from me on the blues. So Soulful Conversations just got a little more soulful. And I guess maybe I'm being presumptuous that most people who are listening to this know my music. But I've never really, I've talked about music a fair bit. And I've always interviewed musicians, mainly interviewed musicians. But I haven't actually talked about my biggest musical influence genre-wise, which is blues. If you're hearing this in the next little while, it's um it's in the lead up to a live stream gig that I'm going to do in under a month um, in July 18. This is the year 2020 right now. But yeah, I've been focusing on blues a fair bit in a lot of the um, things I've been putting on social media. I was sitting on a porch doing a um, rendition of Catfish Blues, otherwise known as Rolling Stone by Muddy Waters. Hendrix did it and he called it Catfish Blues. But I've been finding out a lot of things, like a little fun fact that it was a cover in the first place that Muddy was doing. I thought he wrote it, but it actually was originally called Catfish Blues. So I didn't know that. There you go. Fun fact. Anyway, I put a um, blog post up about Muddy Waters, which you can check out at the website. Um, but I just thought I'd put it into audio version for you lazy asses out there who don't like to read. That's why I'd love to get my book in audio format. Maybe one day I will. But, you know, I'm a bit the same myself where... Um, we're busy people and it's really hard to find the time to read something sometimes. So I, I just thought I'd put this into podcast form and just tell you a few of my thoughts about Muddy Waters. I've been watching a lot of blues documentaries and stuff on YouTube lately and just um, updating my knowledge. And there are some things that I didn't really realize, like the fact that blues was originally, well, it came into light as a commercialized thing in a way. Before Alan Lomax went down and recorded, you know, uh, a whole lot of field hollers and stuff, that was actually more in the 40s. Um, but it was actually the recording industry that really broadcast a lot of blues. And even before recording, W.C. Handy is the first guy to kind of maybe kick off the blues thing. He was jumping, he was a very educated African-American dude and he was jumping on a train and he heard a blues guy, what we now know is blues, a guy playing with a knife over some strings. And he's like, wow, I've never heard any music like that before. And he basically ended up writing writing 12-bar blues and blues but writing it formally as sheet music because that was the way of getting music out there at that time before recordings and it became a hit people people loved it and performed it in forgive me if i'm saying the wrong thing because it wouldn't have been a big band but in those little quartets or whatever they were <laughs> uh, not my forte then later the first superstar of blues was Bessie Smith and the only blues that was really able to be recorded at that time was were ladies singing over in a with a, a band backing them with and no guitar no you know not like the delta thing the delta thing came delta blues thing that I'm more into came a lot later 
And I guess that's what I didn't realise. I was just watching a doco before I started recording this, how complicated history is. Guys like say, I'm going to jump forward here. So I'll say there was this guy. Oh, yeah. I wanted to, I wrote this down because I couldn't believe it. Bessie Smith in the 20s was earning two grand a week. That's a lot of money. And I'm sure in those times that was a lot of money for a black woman to be earning. What an amazing thing. So she was a superstar and, you know, obviously wasn't allowed in a lot of restaurants and wasn't allowed in the front door of the places that she was playing, but she was earning crazy money. But back in the Delta, there was a guy, a white guy called H.G. Spears, who recorded all of the Delta music in the early days. One day, Charlie Patton came, who is really who I think of as the forefather of Delta Blues. Charlie Pat- Patton came in and said, you know, I'm as good as anything you've recorded. And he was. And H.G. Spears recorded him and it went massive. It was a hit at the time. And that that's when um, the one guy and a guitar thing really started to take off. Actually, I think it started earlier than that with Blind Lemon Jefferson. But these were commercial. It was record companies trying to get hits. And every record company had, or many record companies had, a race, what was it called? A race records department or something where they would record stuff for black people for a black audience. And that's where they were trying to get hits and they would give preference. They'd get like four or five blues guys to come in. You know, they'd go down south and say, right, we're going to be set up in such and such hotels. Let's hear your songs. And they'd give preference to original songwriters, people who had a few original songs. Um, so Charlie Patton recorded and he was huge. And this is what I didn't realize. Heroes of mine like Sun House and the amazing Skip James. Those guys recorded as well in those early days, but their albums were flops. I think mainly because of the depression, but they were rediscovered by a white audience in the 60s. And that's when they started to have a lot more success. And I know that I'm pretty sure Sunhouse was a janitor in between when he was first recorded, even though he was a massive influence on Robert Johnson and a massive influence on Muddy Waters. So I've just been really enjoying digging into that stuff. So I think you'll probably hear more from me about some of the key Delta guys that I really like and people I want to look into in the lead up to this uh, big gig that I've got, which is an online streamed concert that I'll be doing on the 18th of July. So just talking a little bit about Muddy because that's what I was talking about in my blog post. So he was working at a, as a sharecropper and he was influenced by Sunhouse, by Charlie Patton. All those guys would have been playing probably at this place called Dockery's Plantation, which was almost like its own little township, this plantation where they all work. But the blues guys didn't actually work in you know as farmers they would just be traveling in and out i guess working at being blues players trying not to work <laughs> so charlie Patton was yeah was a big influence on muddy so was sunhouse um but muddy was a farmer and that's interesting because so was Howlin' wolf and those guys became you know the dual kings of chicago blues and um particularly muddy but although wolf is my all-time blues hero i'd say muddy was probably the king of uh of Chicago blues, but we're really lucky because Alan Lomax in the 40s, after having traveled down with his dad earlier on and recording a few different people, he stayed with that mission for a lot 
of his life of recording folk music and it was it was not trying to get a hit he was totally anti that um he was it wasn't like trying to as such or or have any big hits and the rev like i said before the revelation was that that had happened before um that blues had been a commercial thing that actually took off i didn't know that um i kind of thought it just started with guys like lomax who were just documenting but that's what lomax was all about um documenting and he recorded um muddy in like 1941 um early 40s anyway and um that recording um went i don't know if that went huge actually that recording was um yeah i think it was pretty successful and he ended up, Alan Lomax sent Muddy a copy of the record and um, $20. And I just saw a speech from Obama in 2012 when he mentioned that and uh, and said Muddy went and played that on the jukebox and said, I can do it. And um, that was a cool story and cool that Obama was <laughs> mentioning it. But so on a musical level, how I see Muddy, what Muddy ended up doing after those records, is that original recording, it's really cool that we have that, that it was recorded him while he was a farmhand, a Delta blues musician. And it's cool that we can, you know, put that on now and listen to it, how he was, how he started, because it's not what he became massively famous for. He became ma- famous as i mentioned before for pioneering the chicago blues sound and really popularizing it but you know i think of a guy like robert johnson as a virtuoso and uh and also robert johnson is a guy who took the blues that was very rough and raw in a lot of different ways and he kind of standardized it a bit and um i've i've since found out that um robert johnson would have been actually listening and exposed to blues recordings. And he's one of the first of that generation that is not just playing something from where he's from and and in sort of anthropological or a, f- a folk example of a particular area. He was actually influenced by music, pop music and music from everywhere because stuff was being recorded and blues from everywhere. Um, but he took... He took all those influences in like a sponge and he created his own thing. And when it came to the blue stuff, it was really ordered and very palatable what Robert Johnson did. But he was also a virtuoso on the guitar. And he really did sound like two guitarists at the same time, still to this day. But at the time, it must have just blown your mind to see it. And I know that um, Sunhouse always says the story about how when he, when Robert Johnson came back, that's part of the thing where i'll talk about this in some other time but they thought he'd gone to the crossroads and done a deal with the devil because he they used to laugh at him before and then when he came back after a year and at a juke joint just took Sunhouse's guitar in a set break and started playing they were just their jaw was on the floor he was just a quantum leap forward and changed music forever what robert johnson did you know it's easy to see how that morphed into rock and roll down the track but muddy's contribution was a little bit different he i think he took what robert johnson did and i he electrified it and he simplified it and his voice was so big and so warm so he almost made it it still has the mournful thing that's so deep and um, soulful about blues, but it's not a mournfulness that makes you want to cry. It's more of a mournfulness that um, 
you feel the power and the authority, but you also feel the warmth. And I really think that's what Muddy brought to the blues. And he, in a sense, you know, it sounds weird to say now, but he almost made it more poppy because he had a lot of really good hooks and um, he almost standardized it even more than Robert Johnson. It was a little bit more predictable. And that's why when you hear at every blues jam, people playing Muddy Waters songs to this day, sometimes they sound a bit plonky because they're just really, everyone these days is a rock musician and they're just playing slower (laughs) and missing all of the nuance. And I think I said that in my blog article or I've said that on socials. I know I've been guilty of that too. There's a lot of nuance in his playing and that's what makes it totally not boring (laughs) Um, and really meaningful. I remember when I was um, walking at a festival, I think it was at Naruma Blues Festival, and I heard Bob Margolin playing, who used to play in Muddy Waters' band, and I I instantly recognised that sound, and I'd never heard it live, somebody playing that, that fully Muddy Waters-style blues, and when you actually hear it done right, it sounds completely different to anything you've ever heard. So I think, you know, Muddy's a good example of, um, there was a quote I put on socials, um, something like, my blues is simple, but it's hard to play them right or something like that. And I think it's very, very true. Yeah, so Muddy recorded Catfish Blues, Hoochie Coochie Man, Can't Be Satisfied, I'm Troubled. And he had a million hits. Um, Willie Dixon wrote a lot of his hits for him. Willie Dixon would write for Muddy and he would always also write for Howl and Wolf and he'd play them off against each other and say, I'm going to give this one to Wolf, do you want it? to Muddy and vice versa (laughs) when he wanted them to take a song. Muddy is probably, he's got to be easily one of the biggest, if not the biggest blues guy and most influential blues guy of all time. And yeah, just a an amazing player. I think I'm going to cover Catfish Blues at the gig and um, and that's the one you can see on socials. But stay tuned for, uh, I'll be doing just a few more little talks about some of my thoughts about a few things in blues. I don't claim to be a massive authority or a really geeky historian about it. I mean, most of my influence just it comes to me in the form of music, not in the form of words and getting my my dates right and all of that. So that's not what this podcast will be about. But I'm sure it's not hardcore blues nerds who are out there listening to Soulful Conversations. You guys are into it for a lot of the um, self-development and other interesting spiritual stuff that we normally talk about. But as a matter of interest, I thought you might like to hear this. So have fun out there in podcast land and I'll see you soon.